0: Man, it's so good to see all of you. Pretty packed house today. I guess that's why we're here in a building program. Hopefully, hopefully turning some dirt over and around October, get that thing going. If you're a guest, my name's David. I'm the pastor of the church. You're always welcome to anything that we have going on at our church. We want you to be a part of things. I, uh, I'm finishing up a series today. It uh, started the 1st of June, it ends now. It's called It Begins, and It Begins Ends, (laughs) kind of right now. And it's been a series that talked about the beginning of the Christian movement, uh, that talked about how the the church just began to explode right there at the very beginning after the ascension of Christ. And um, in this series, the thing that I have stressed to you so much, and if you've been coming, hardly any at all, you probably can quote what I'm about to say to you, but this is the thing that I want you to see from this series, especially as you bring it to a conclusion, that uh, no story matters more than the story of Jesus. And I hope you understand that. I mean, I think we understand it here, but man, it's got to come here. And then at some point, it's got to come here that the story of Jesus is what matters most. Now, you know, we've gone through this series. You know, we've, we've seen, you know, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. We've seen everything that's been going on. In fact, I told you last week that that message really was the climactic message of the series because after Peter had done all the preaching he had done uh, there and, and it says the people became convicted and said, what do we do? What do we do, Peter? we believe you, what do we do? And he says, you need to repent, which means faith. And your sins will be forgiven. You'll receive the Holy Spirit. And then you're saved. And you need to be baptized. And that's kind of the climactic part of the the whole series, really. But that doesn't mean today's not important because it is. Because today we come to the end of chapter 2, and and I've preached from this passage more than anything else that I've ever preached to you in Acts. This is probably my fourth message. In fact, actually it's more than that because I actually did a series from these verses that I'm about to to go with you today. And Luke, Luke in his book, Acts, gives summations, allows him to transition. This is one of those summations, but it's so important because it tells you what is expected of us. And as we come to Luke chapter 2, excuse me, Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47, that's where we're going to be. This is really how I'm going to end this series. And what I really want you to get out of the message today is this. The story of Jesus is a story that leads his followers to worship, serve, connect, and reach. It leads us to worship, serve, connect, and reach. You've heard us use those words a lot at this church. If you come at all, you've heard us. This is where we get it from for the most part. This is where this comes. And so I'm going to begin uh, the message today. And I'm just going to ask a question in light of all that's happened uh, throughout this series. All that's happened in, in the first two chapters of Acts. This is what I want to ask. Where would the story of Jesus lead the followers of Jesus? We've talked about the story of Jesus, okay? They come to faith. 3,000 people came to faith. That, that, that message Peter preached... Went from 120 in Jerusalem to 3,120. And so the issue is, what does does it lead? Acts 1.8 is so, so powerful. And anytime I preach from Acts, I mean, even if I'm just preaching a standalone message or preaching from Acts from another series, I always want to come back to Acts 1.8, where it says, "To the power of the Holy Spirit will come upon you. Jesus says, They shall be my witnesses. It will start in Jerusalem, Judea, and then Samaria, and the rest of the world. Well, it started. The Holy Spirit came. They felt the power of the Holy Spirit. They began to share. Peter came and shared, and people were saved. So it began in Jerusalem, which means Judea, which is the surrounding area, kind of like Dona Anna's, the surrounding area of Las Cruces, it would go there too. But it was not going to go to the rest of the world for a while because these people were all fairly new. I mean, they were brand new Christians. There were brand new Christians in Jerusalem. See, the 120 had come mostly from Galilee. So they had all come down. I've shared with you throughout this series. You know, they came down, you know, the people came from all over the world to come to Jerusalem for Passover and Pentecost. Passover had begun, you know, a couple of months earlier. They'd come, you know, they were going to stay for about two months because every Jew was supposed to come at some point to Jerusalem to celebrate Passover, and they would probably just stay for Pentecost. They would stay for years, get the money, just enough money to get there. They'd make arrangements to stay with somebody. And and then when Pentecost was over, they'd leave. And, you know, now all these people become followers of Jesus. They want to stay. And the people they were staying with, you know, they could only stay so long. Back then, hospitality was critical. I mean, they didn't have all the hotels we have, so people would open their homes, but they could only do it for so long. I could not, I could not have lived back then. I have no sense of hospitality. I don't want people staying with me. You know, a and my daughter, okay. And then she's got married, it's like, great. Now you gotta bring your husband. And my mother-in-law, that's fine. You know, Debbie's mom's fine. But you know, my sisters, they don't stay with me. My, my wife's brother and sister, they don't stay. I mean, if a cousin calls up, hey, we're coming to town. I'm like, yeah, let me give you the name of a really good hotel in El Paso. Uh, I don't even, man, I don't even want them in the same city as me, man. I'm like, go to El Paso. We'll meet somewhere. We'll meet in I don't know. Just don't, I'm not telling you where I live. You know, I couldn't have done that, man. But back then they did it, but they can only stay so long. But, and, and they can't go back to the whole world because they, they just became Jesus followers. What do we do? What do we do? What do we do? And so we come now to the passage that says what they did. And verse 42 through 47. Verse 42 is kind of a, a, a general summation. It's kind of like flying at 30,000 feet. You see a little bit bigger picture. And then verses 43 through 46 kind of repeats it, but it's at a little lower level, you know, within the rest of the book they kind of live it, you know. And it's kind of like flying into the airport, you know, find El Paso, you're up high, you see I-10, and then as you should get a little bit lower, you see more of it, and then eventually you land, hopefully not on it, but at the airport, and then you drive... You know, you see you see things differently. So this is a big picture view. And so let's see what happens in in verse forty two. Here's what we see. They were continually devoting themselves. That means they were committed to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. So this describes really what was happening in the life of the church. Maybe this happened every time they met, or maybe it was given us four different reasons they met, but you know, they were devoted to the apostles teaching. I mean, the apostles were the guys that knew about Jesus. No one else knew about Jesus. I mean, it was them. You know, I mean, there's a couple of others, but I mean, you know, they added to Matthias and maybe Barnabas knew, but I mean, these were the guys. So if you're going to learn about Jesus, you got to come to them. By the way, we still Come to the teaching of the apostles. What I'm doing right now is I'm, I'm bringing you the teaching of the apostles. That's what this series is all about. I mean, the New Testament either comes from the actual apostles. You know, you know. Look at the gospels. You know, two of them, Matthew and John, they were apostles. But Mark and Luke, while they were not apostles, they hung with them. I mean, I, when I did that series on Mark last year, I told you Mark got his information from Peter. You know, and he was close to Paul. Luke close to Paul. Learned. I mean, everything we have in the New Testament came from the age of the apostles. Guys closely associated with them, where it was them. Nothing, nothing after the apostolic age. So we still, we still want their teaching, you know? Then it says they, they, you know, they, they were fellowship. The word fellowship means to come together, to join together. You know, we, people love fellowship. Uh, the koinonia means they, they shared life. They did life together. I know I hear that a lot in the church from millennials. Millennials want to do life together. And this baby boomers are like, man, I don't know. I don't know what that means, especially with you millennials. I don't know if I'm going to do life with you, but I get it. It's fel- if you mean, no, we want to fellowship. Okay, I'll do that. Like I said, you know, well, some of you stay in El Paso, but we can still work together on some of this. You know, it's fellowship. Be together. Be close. They broke bread. That probably means that uh, they don't do the a meal together, but they would take communion, the Lord's Supper, and then they prayed a prayer. So important. This was the life of the church. And now Luke goes on to a little more detail. It really kind of fleshes that out a little bit. He says this, verse 43, everyone kept feeling a sense of awe. They were amazed. I mean, when the apostles told them what Jesus did, they're like, you kidding me. He healed, he brought dead people back to life. He taught that, he said that. That makes so much sense. And it says, when many wonders and signs were taking place through the apostles, the idea of wonders and signs, you know, some of it was miraculous, some of it was just things they shared and did. The signs were things that pointed to Jesus. We know uh, in Acts chapter 3, you know, um, there's a man that's crippled and uh, he, he's able to walk. Peter has him walk. I mean, they just did these amazing things. All of this pointing, pointing to Jesus, Right? It was an amazing time in verse 44, says, and they were believers, were together, they had everything in common. Now, they were called believers back then, or followers of the way, they weren't called Christians yet, it'd be a while before they're called Christians. And so they were believers, they believed in Jesus, and all in common, they were together, things in common in fellowship. It doesn't mean that there was a communal life. Some people think, especially with the verse that follows, and I'll get to you in just a second that, uh, you know, they kind of sold everything and they lived in this commune. Well, that didn't, that didn't happen. First place, Jerusalem was a very small, tight place. It was, a, it was a city where it was packed. There was no place, you know, there were 3,000 people that were saved that first day. There was no place for 3,000 people to live together. And they didn't go outside the city and live in a, in a commune somewhere, as sometimes it's said. that could, They didn't have time to develop and happen. Just, this, that couldn't have happened. This is not possible. But what it means is that you know, people would, would leave maybe the home they were in because it was time to go. And they would go stay with one of the new believers in the homes of people in Jerusalem and probably be packed There's people all over the place. And, you know, they were just, they were learning. They'd get up, they'd learn, they'd, they'd go to worship, they'd learn. I mean, just, they were just together all the time. And in verse 45, it says this, and they would sell their property and possessions and share them all, with all to the extent that anyone had need. Now, this gets misunderstood all the time. It didn't mean they sold everything they had. Listen, if, if everybody in Jerusalem sold their home, they'd all be homeless, right? And we know in the next verse, they went from home to home, house to house. So, what it means is this people had needs, and they met the needs, the real needs. You know, needs, food. There's certain things you need you need food, you need clothing, you need shelter, you need companionship, you need health. I mean, they took care of people's needs especially people who weren't from Jerusalem. So what they would do, and we see it in Acts chapter 4, God in Barnabas did this. He had some property, not his house, but he had property. And he took the property and he sold the property. Probably, probably some property that belonged to his family. Now, they had to be careful. Because even back then, if you had family property, you know, you're supposed to stay in the family, so you're supposed to sell it to family first. So what they did is they would take some things they had, and, and they would sell them. And they would take what they had, to help one another, because they were together. So they were meeting needs. And verse 46 says this day by day. They continued with one mind in the temple. So they went every day to the temple. That was a place where they could gather in a large group. They didn't go inside the temple, they couldn't do that. Some think it means that they still committed or still participated in the sacrifices because they were still Jewish and Christianity was new and was considered part of Judaism. Maybe, but I, I really doubt that the apostles continued sacrificing because they would have understood that Jesus was the ultimate final sacrifice. It was an important teaching. But in and around the temple, there were areas where they can meet together. So it means they all came together from times to meet as one every day, but they also were breaking bread from house to house. And I mean, they were in people's homes, which means they didn't sell them all. And so they met worship large. They met small groups in people's homes. Breaking bread probably has to do with communion. The Lord's Supper says they were taking their meals with gladness and sincerity of heart. So they were sharing meals together. We Baptists love to share meals. That's where the whole idea of potluck began. Uh, probably not fried chicken and uh, probably didn't have bacon wrapped shrimp still. Back then they were Jewish. So some of you got that. Like three of you got that. Some of you never got it. But that was the th- I didn't plan on that line. I just threw it in there, so I wasn't expecting it to work. Some of you are laughing now, like, oh, I got it, because, you know, yeah. So they were just living their life together, sharing, doing those things. Notice what it says in verse 47. They were praising God. They were praising God. And they were having favor with all the people. That means even all the Jewish people. I mean, they had favor. The, the, the Jewish leaders weren't persecuting them yet. They couldn't. There were too many of them. And the people, the Jewish people liked them. Eventually, in a few chapters in Acts, you would see that they begin to go after like Peter and, and John and James and those guys. But early on, man, the, the people, hey, yeah, these guys are great guys. And notice what it says. The Lord was adding to their number day by day, every day. I like it with the NIV says, every day. Those who are being saved. Every day people came to Jesus. That was the life of the church, man. That's, that's, that's what was happening. The Holy Spirit came on Pentecost. They were filled with the power and presence of the Spirit. And they just spilled out into the streets, 120 did, sharing Jesus. Thousands heard it and were amazed. And Peter just began to preach to all of them there at the temple saying, Hey, what you're seeing, this outpouring of the Spirit, is the fulfillment of what the prophet Joel said about the coming of the Messiah, the last days. And the Messiah has come. He's Jesus. He fulfills everything that was promised through David, about David. He died in your place. He died on your behalf. And then God raised him back to life. And he is the Lord of all. And you need to give your life to him. And when people were, were broken, said, What do we do? And he said, You repent of your sin, have faith, be saved. They did it. And they kept doing it. And they kept doing it. And then they did life and lived life together as a group of people and it just exploded. So here's the thing to see from this series. It really, as a follower of Jesus, I need to understand that the story of Jesus led his followers to grow in faith, community, and numbers. They grew in their faith, their understanding of Jesus. They grew in their community as a, as a group of believers. And they grew in numbers. People kept coming. Growing is important. You need to grow. Numbers matter. You know, I hear churches who downplay number, oh, numbers aren't important. You just worry too much about numbers. That's because they're not reaching anybody. People that don't reach anybody try to make it sound like reaching people aren't important. I don't know why. But we know that's what they did. That was, and that's it. That's how chapter 2 ends. And it's this beautiful, beautiful, beautiful picture of this explosive movement of the early believers. and so much to teach us. And so what I want to do is I take this entire series and then just kind of narrow it down. I talked a lot last week about the fact that if you're not a follower of Jesus, you need to give your life to Jesus. And you do. But I want to talk now about what it means to follow Jesus. And what it means for us to follow Jesus is so important. If you hang around here at all, you hear us talk about reaching people for Jesus, getting people to Jesus as fast as you can. You hear us talk about worship, serving, and connecting. And connecting means community or discipleship. All that goes together. So I want to share four things with you that really is important for your life as a follower of Jesus. At FBC, we want you to worship Jesus with other believers. We want you to be in worship. We want you to be in worship right now. This is what we want. And, And listen, it's important. I know people say, well, I can worship privately. You can, and you should, but you're supposed to worship publicly too. That's why in the book of Hebrews, it says, quit forsaking together the meeting with one another. It means quit skipping church. (laughs) Now I know we live in a different day and, and, and there's so many things that happen in our life and I get it and the world keeps interfering with Sundays. I understand that. And times have changed. I I know when I was growing up, and even as a young minister, I started the ministry 43 years ago, and some of you are thinking, that's amazing. You started when you were eight. I'm like, yeah, it was pretty amazing, I know. (laughs) But back then, it was expected that you always came. I mean, you were expected to come to church like three out of four times a Sunday. I mean, that was like... The minimum, if you came less than that, like, eh, you're not really much of a church member, are you, if you came less than that? And you went to church and Sunday school. I remember as a kid growing up, you know, there'd be people that wouldn't come to Sunday school, which is church. I'm like, Mom, why do the just they don't come to Sunday school, why do they just come to church? And she say, you know, they go dancing on Saturday night, son, you don't understand, they're just not. <laughs> they're really Methodist, they're not Baptist, they're just pretending. <laughs> God bless them. And then it got to be, you know, 50, if you came half the time. You know, for most of my ministry, if you come after time, because there's stuff happening. Okay, I got it. Families, young families, yeah. And now, I saw a study the other day. You're not going to believe it. And I know it's because people are busy. But now, the average person who, not just guys who go to church. I mean, they consider this church to be their home. They're Christians that go to church. Fantastic. You know, all of that. The average person comes 1.7 times in a month. Now, I don't know what happened to the 0.3. Like how do you come like at seven tenths? I guess that's when you come late. They deduct points for that. <laughs> you did, if you get up in the middle of my message and you go to the cafe to get something, you're losing you're losing points like a tenth. <laughs> worship means to be a priority. I know things are happening. I know things go on. I get it. But there's value in worship. There's value. Let me show you the value. There's four values. There's more than that. Let me show you four. There is the joy of praise and celebration. I mean, man, this place is pretty full. And when we sing, there's joy. It's It's the praise. It's exciting. Even I, who don't do much with music, enjoy it. And in all four of our services, man, there's the joy of being with other people. You're praising God. You're celebrating life. That's important to do with one another. It's good for your soul. There's spiritual growth and commitment. One of the best places for you to grow spiritually is here. One of the best places for you to make commitments is here. In fact, you're more likely to make a commitment, even if you don't come forward. I'm not saying coming forward. You're more likely to make a commitment here than you probably are in any other single place. You're more likely to grow. If you will come worship on a regular basis, more than 1.7 is regular. Once a month is regular. Once a year is regular, I guess. But if you will come on a regular basis, you're going to grow there's a community of encouragement. You know, sometimes it's tough. You're going to go to work tomorrow and you're the only believer in your, in your place of employment. You're the only Christian there. And you need, you come and you see all these other Christians from all these other walks of life. It's encouraging. And here's what else. You know what we do here? We share Jesus. And some of you struggle to share Jesus. I get that. That's why we tell you all the time, if you struggle to share Jesus, invite people to church because we'll share Jesus. If your main way of sharing your faith is inviting people to church, it's okay. It's a pretty good thing to do. Bring them. Be involved. 1.7 times means in a 52 Sunday year, this year we actually have 53, you're only gonna come about 24 times. Maybe you can raise that just a little bit and get more a part of the worship together. Secondly, at FBC, we want you to serve God, each other, and those who do not know Jesus. We want you to serve. Serving matters. It's part of who we are. We're created and designed to serve people and one another. Jesus did it. I mean, in John 13, hours before he went to the cross, he washed the feet of the disciples. So this is this is, this is how you do it. You serve. We want you to serve. We want you to serve here. And some of you may say, well, you know, I serve at other places. If you've got another faith-based organization you're with, that's great. Serve there. Now, just serving in the community doesn't count as Christian service, okay? If you say, well, you know, I'm a part of the uh, Lions Club or, you know, Optimist Club or the Pessimist Club, whatever club you're with, they don't count. <laughs> they ain't Christian. Don't calm. Don't try to calm me like you're not serving Jesus there. You, I don't care if you're there. I've been there. You walk into that meeting, trust me, Jesus just stays at the door. He ain't coming in. And so just just don't pretend that's it. But if you find a place to serve, that's fine. If you serve, some of you, you have individuals you minister to. Maybe there's someone in your neighborhood, and you, you spend a lot of time with them, praying for them, helping them. That's fantastic. We serve. And serving here, we want you to serve. Sometimes you can serve weekly uh, with a WEE, not W-E-A. We don't want you to serve weekly. We want you to you know every week. That's fine. Or monthly, or maybe just once a year, but find a place. You know, be, be a part of things. People say, do I have to be a member to serve here? No. You know, Christian, other people, a lot of you don't join our church. That's fine. You can serve here as a Christian. You're not going to be on a committee, but you probably don't care about that anyway. That's fine. There's so many things you can do. You can even teach here. People say, what if I'm not a follower of Jesus? What if I'm not a believer? Can I serve? And we've struggled with that, and I've come to the conclusion. I've decided pretty much that if I'm really going to reach out to you, and I want you to come, and even if you're not a follower of Jesus and this be your church home, then yeah, you can serve here. No, it's limited in what you do. You're not going to be on the platform. You're not going to teach anything, but... Yeah, you can serve. You can do all that. You see, here's the thing. Meeting people's real needs, meeting their real needs is the fundamental expectation and experience for believers. Meeting the real needs, not the felt needs, not someone says, well, this is what I need. I need, you know, I need a new cell phone. Well, I ain't doing that. But if you need something that's fundamental to life physically, emotionally, spiritually, we want to meet those needs. We want you to be a part of that. And for some of you, you know, if you're not serving yet, you can go on our website. There's a serve tab, hit serve. You can do that. Or you can, you can go out to the, the welcome center and say, hey, can I have a connect card? I just put, I want to serve. And someone will get a hold of you, send us an email, whatever. We want you to serve. Thirdly, at FBC, we want you in a small group community connecting with others in Bible study, prayer, and fellowship. You need to be in that small group with other believers. We have a lot of people come here. In fact, doing four services, if this is the service you come to every week, there are some people who go to our church you will never meet. You may meet someone out in the community and find out you both go to the same church, you go to different services. I mean, if you, some people go to the 830, some go to the 1215. Not only do they never meet, they, don't, they may not even know the other service truly, they may just think the other service is a myth and never even knew it really existed, you know? I mean, they, I didn't even know that was a real service, you know, I and mean, it is, and so being involved, and we have so many types of groups. Now, we, some people say, do you still have a traditional Sunday morning Bible study? Yes, we do. We have one that meets at 830. And then we have some that meet at Don Yana Community College. If you don't know where that is, just go out all the doors, go out to the patio, look to the right, and down the hill, there's a community college. And you can go there on Sunday mornings and uh, if you want. It meets at this hour. Uh, but a lot of our people go to what we call connect groups, community groups, whatever you want to call them, connect groups, what we call them. We have over 25-something. Over We're adding some new ones. Good, the good news is that we have... We have new ones starting up in in August. So we have like our big Connect 90s a month from tonight and all of that stuff. And there's a whole bunch of stuff coming out over the next few weeks about being a Connect group. And you can hear and see and read all that. But here's why groups matter. Here's why they matter. Because there's four things that really happen there. First, you share life together. You know, you really do share life. Uh, Debbie and I f- have uh, pretty much always been in a group with Ken and Cindy Adcock. And early on, our groups were younger couples. We kind of want to mentor them. What was always funny about the younger couples is every t- every year, uh, there was a couple that get pregnant. Every year. Not the same couple, but I mean, it's a different couple. <laughs> I was like, yeah, but, but, but we always tell them that somebody's getting pregnant. We don't know what the food we served, uh, we don't know if it was the houses they met in, what happened. We have no idea. I haven't even tried to figure it out, probably not appropriate, anyways. But... You just share life. And I know, you know, all of us, you know, are in um, a, a connect group with uh, empty nesters. You know, we don't have kids at home. Uh, and, you know, and, and our kids are grown, but we still deal with them together. Some of them still have adults and deal with stuff. And just doing life's important. Last year when, when Debbie passed, last October, our connect group was so important to me in helping me get through. it. Well, I appreciate them over there. I appreciate them and some around here. Some, a lot of them come to this service. They were so important uh, to Debbie and I. To me, and Debbie during her illness, it was important to her. That's part of why you get that, because you're not going to get that just from here. I mean, you may may come here at the same service every week and sit next to the same people, and they don't know who you are. They're not going to be there, because they don't know you. So you share life. You share Jesus. Someone who's not a follower of Jesus, they can learn about Jesus. We share the scriptures. That's what we teach, the Bible. We don't teach the latest fad book. I mean, and some of them are straight Bible studies, but a lot of people do video series. We use RightNow Media. It's a great, great platform to use, and we use that. And we just share. We share prayers together. I mean, we share life. You need to be involved in a group. Man, I can't, I can't stress how important it is that you get involved in a group. Let go through life with people. And if you can't find the right one, you can keep looking now, until you find the right one. You know, if, you know, just do that. Fourthly, at FBC, We want you to reach people who need Jesus. We want you to reach people who need Jesus. I say it all the time, get people to Jesus as fast as you can because Jesus will change their life. And the thing about it here, here's what what I've learned over the years. As you get a little older and what little hair I have left gets grayer, I've learned a few things and this is what I've learned. The people who are most likely to share Jesus with other people are people who come to worship who serve, and who are in a group. The people who worship, serve, and are in a group are the most likely ones to eventually reach people. And here's what I also know. The people that we reach, that come forward, that we baptize, that we see saved, even if they're not baptized, most likely are involved in worship or a small group. Sometimes serving, but mostly worship or a small group. They're already involved in something. This is what we do. We don't have any strategy, this is it. Because this is what they did in the New Testament. A few years back, I think it was right before COVID, I had a, there was a man visiting his family. He, was a, he approached me between services. He was a retired Baptist preacher, which is always fun to have a retired Baptist preacher come and ask you questions. That's why I don't ever plan to be a retired Baptist preacher. I don't want other preachers to run away from me. <laughs> <You know? laughs> oh, no, here he comes. And he looked at me and said, now I'll never forget this. What's your evangelism strategy? And I, and I laughed inside and so laughed out loud because that'd be rude. And while I'm somewhat rude, I'm not that rude. And You know, I I grew up in the era where we had strategies for everything as a Baptist. We had evangelism strategies, mission strategies, we had giving strategies, we had Sunday school strategies, we had strategies for this, strategies for that. All we did was have strategies. I just looked at him and I said, We ask people to worship, serve, and be in a small group. And that's our strategy. And then I walked away because I had to get here and I knew he was probably thinking, That ain't going to work. But it worked in the New Testament. Now yeah, it works. Because that's how we do life. That's how we do church. That's how it all began. And that's how it all ends. See, what I really want for you once you come to Jesus, what we really want for you is this, to understand this, that the story of Jesus is a story that should lead you to grow in your faith. You should grow in the church. And you should grow in reaching people. You should grow as a follower of Jesus in faith. You should grow in how you live within the community of believers we call the church. And you should grow in reaching people for Jesus. No story matters more than the story of Jesus. It's a story that changes your life, it's a story that takes a person who lives in rebellion against God, and it's that story that brings them to a point of belief so they can trust Jesus with their life. And even after they've trust Jesus with their life, it is the story of Jesus that continues to work in your life as you grow in your faith, in the community of believers, and seeing your friends and your family and your loved ones and people you care about come to faith. That's what you do. And so I began the message today. Instead, the story of this Jesus is a story that leads you to worship, serve, connect, and share Jesus with others. So let me ask you, has it led you to that point? Does that describe you? If not, why not? Some of you today, you need to make a commitment to worship more. I know you're here today. You need to be here a lot. You need to make this a priority. And I know you can watch online, and I want you to do that if you're not here. When I'm not here, I watch online. I do. Well, it depends on which of the guys are preaching, but most of the time I watch (laughs) online. But you need to be here. Secondly, where are you serving? Even if you're not serving here, where are you serving for Jesus? What group are you in? Or do you need to be in one? Because it matters. And are you sharing your faith with people you love? care about in just a moment when we stand here maybe you want to come and say hey we want to be more committed or maybe you just make that commitment you make that commitment where you are that's fine you can come talk to us if you've never given your life to Jesus that's the most important thing you can ever do come trust Jesus come pray with us and talk to us and gals if you'd rather pray with another woman there'll be a woman up here you can pray with I don't know what you need to do today but when you walk out of here walk out of here walk out of here saying man it's only just begun it's only just begun in my life. Father, these two chapters are so powerful, and these chapters in Acts, and we've, we've gone through them, and I know it's been a long series, but, man, it just seems like we've scratched the surface. But in there is everything we need. It, the story of Jesus is there, and it can begin in our life, and it can take our life and change it and move us to worship and serve and be involved in a community and ultimately to share this amazing story with other people. So God, whatever needs to happen in our lives, individually and collectively, speak to us, speak through us. God, let it begin. Just let it begin. Would you stand and you come and I'll be here.